That's God being good. Here's, a, here's some recent research on, on abortion. 2011 study published by the British Journal of Psychiatry reported that there were dramatic changes in mental health in women who had abortions. The study examined medical information from 877,000 women. 164,000 of those women had had abortions. The women who had an abortion were 81% more likely to experience mental health struggles. They were 34% more likely to develop an anxiety disorder, 37% more likely to experience depression, 110% more likely to abuse alcohol, 155% more likely to commit suicide, and 220% more likely to abuse marijuana. So God, when he says, I don't want you doing these things, he's looking out for you. The enemy told Eve that, that, that what God was doing was mistreating her. And the world will tell you that. And the carnal mind will tell you that. And the enemy is very subtle and he's very smooth and he's, he's been practicing for 6,000 years. So he's pretty experienced in telling us and grooming us. So we've got to have the mindset of God, the mind of Christ so that we understand that God is for me. His word is forever settled in heaven. And he wrote his word, not for himself, he wrote his word for his children. <clears throat> Thirdly, God instructing us in his word that wives are to submit to their own husbands and that men are to love their wife as God, uh, is not God being mean. How many thinks that's God being mean? The world would say, that's crazy. Well, I had a woman one time, I've shared it with you, tell me, cut that out of your Bible. I ain't submitting to no man. And, and that wasn't the worst part. The worst part, I had been teacher for about eight or ten weeks, so you would have thought she'd known something by then, but anyway. When we don't do this, wives, submit to your own husbands. Husbands, love your wife. What do we get? We get what we've got. Fifty percent, we get what we've got. The fifty percent of the first marriages in America end in divorce. Sixty to sixty-seven percent of second marriages in America end up in divorce. But if we were doing it God's way, the wives are submitting to their own husbands, the husbands are loving their wife like Christ loved the church, how many divorces do you think there'd be? I'll just rest my case right there. <clears throat> when God instructs children to obey their parents in the Lord, in the Lord, that's not God being me. That's God being good. But the, 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 I call it the brain dead stage. None of them are in here tonight, so I guess I can. It's the 15 to 20, you know what I'm saying? Well, you, to them, that's God being mean. If you go to a kid and say, look here in your Bible, it says you're supposed to obey me. You're supposed to obey me in the Lord. And say, man, God sure is mean. That's not God being mean. That's God being good. Because if they don't, if they're fortunate enough and blessed enough to have parents that are in the Lord and they choose not to obey them, then the world's going to rip them apart. There's a wicked world out there. The cre like the creditor come to take the, the widow's two sons. The world wants to, to take our children and turn them into something that uh, would be very difficult to see. When God instructs us to support our church financially, I'm a numbers guy, so I, you know I was. When God instructs us to support our church financially, that's not God being mean. God wants to bless us, but he's got he's to see if he can trust us. 
I got an amen from the pastor. <clears throat> That's not God being mean. He wants to unleash. What does the scripture say? Open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I never got that before. Well, have you, have you done what you're supposed to do? Have you followed the B-I-B-L-E? I mean, I could go, I could go, you know, on and on uh, with principles in the scripture that are not God uh, trying to push us down. They're, they're God trying to bless us. Matter of fact, Pastor, we like to quote, we love to quote Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. We love to quote that, and we kind of say that just kind of like it's just going to, it's kind of loosey-goosey, you know. It's just going to happen. It's just, it just happens, you know, that if I'm if I'm saved, then then everything's going to work together for my good. But let me remind you that when it says all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, if you go to, to John chapter 14, Jesus Christ himself says four times in ten verses, those that love me, obey my word. Those that love me, obey my word. So it could read this way. Uh, uh, all things work together for those who obey my word. It could say that very easily. It could. Because we don't associate love and obey, you know. That's not taught. That's not, <laughs> we don't like that too much. We like the love part, but we don't like the obey part too much. So I can promise you all things will work together for your good if you love God the way that he describes love, which is taking his word and making it a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. And like David said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now I'm going to move on get off of that. Um, I'm on the focus of forgiveness tonight. In Genesis chapter 45, Joseph tells his brothers, Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves, that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Joseph uh, was in a heck of a predicament. He, you know, he was 17, couldn't speak the Egyptian language, and he found himself in Egypt. And not only did he find himself in Egypt, his flesh and blood brothers, 10 of them, put him in a pit and sold him there. And if anybody in Scripture has a would have a real good justification for not forgiving when you you know when you go to Potiphar's house and then you end up in prison if anybody 13 years of misery during the prime of your life if anybody would have a reason to 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 justify unforgiveness it would probably be this man Joseph but he he forgives him so in your notes everybody got their notes got to have your notes filled out to make it to heaven how do, you, how do you view what happened? You got hurt. You're angry. How do you view what? Here's how Joseph viewed it. He says, my brothers, it wasn't you, it was God. He literally says that. And that's the way he viewed it. Here, let me read it to you. Genesis 45, verse 7 and 8. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither. Did you hear that? It was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh, the Lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout the, all the land of Egypt. He specifically states the way he views it, you didn't put me in Egypt, God put me in Egypt. Okay, so that might help you with, with forgiveness issues. That might help you to teach your children about forgiveness. You may just need to view it 
a little different way. Stand back and look at it from a different angle. Number two in your notes. Uh, it is possible, even likely, that you have done what you, are not, what you are not forgiving another for doing. Can I get an amen? We don't, we don't see it. You know why? Because he, that wouldn't be something that you would see, right? If I was judging Darren for, uh, for something, I'm try, I couldn't think of anything Darren could do wrong. So it was, it was hard. If I was judging Darren for something, I think the Scripture's telling me if I'm doing that, then I'm, I'm guilty of what I'm judging him for. Okay, let me read it to you. It, the verse, Jonathan might put it up, it's Romans 2.1. I got the NIV. It says this. Listen very carefully. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because... You pass judgment, you who pass judgment do the same thing. That's in your Bible. Did y'all know that was in your Bible? So it's very possible and highly likely that if you're holding uh, forgiveness from somebody and judging them for something they've said or done, that you're doing the same exact thing or else I'm misinterpreting the scripture. Number three in your notes, forgiveness is extremely liberating. When we choose not to forgive, we're choosing to stay tied to, a, to all the drama and the hurt of yesterday. What did Paul say? He said, cast down those imaginations and bring into captivity every thought. He said in Philippians 3.13, he said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This man who wrote half our New Testament, he, you know, he did a lot of things, but he, he said this one thing he's going to make sure he does. It, it's like this is his top part. I'm going to put it all behind me. Somebody mistreats me, I'm going to put it all behind me. Somebody talks about me behind my back, I'm going to put it behind me. Somebody, pastor don't speak to me when I walk down the aisle and shake his, try to shake his hand, he just turns the other way, I'm going to put it behind me. I'm putting it behind me. It's, I'm not carrying it with me. We used to talk about the old cotton sack, you know. I'm from Louisiana. And that old cotton sack got heavier and heavier the further down that road those slaves went, you know. And, and, and you got to cut that cotton sack and leave, leave it. you got to move forward. And, and I believe that verse there is referring to good things and bad things. Sometimes we have good things happen in our life, and that's all we want to talk about. That's all we want to think about for 25 years, 30 years. We're still talking about that trophy we won. My wife accuses me of that. That trophy we won when we were playing basketball, you know. <clears throat> Number four in your notes. Joseph was wise to forgive. According to Jesus, we better not need God to forgive us if we choose not to forgive someone else. I'll read it to you, Matthew six fourteen. Jesus speaking. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Verse 15. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father Forgive you your trespasses. Now, that's pretty direct. So Joseph was very wise, and he was an example. You all know Joseph was a type and a shadow of Christ, right, in the Old Testament. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Am I doing okay? Sister Bishop Mike, everybody that gets theirs filled out right, she might teach you all pe uh, pickleball. 
That's an inside joke. Y'all just don't worry about it. That's an inside joke. <clears throat> what number am I on? Five? People say, well, they didn't apologize, so I'm not going to forgive them. You ever heard somebody say that? I, I've heard Holy Ghost filled people say that. I've heard heathens say that. I've heard a lot of people say that. I'm still trying to find the first person that spit on Jesus that apologized when he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I'm, I'm still trying to find in Scripture the first person that screamed, we want Barabbas. The first one that plucked his beard or nailed him to that. I'm still trying to find the first one that apologized to him. And I, Sister Lisa, I can't find him. Maybe one of y'all theologians can help me because I can't find anybody apologizing. And there's Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. Why? Because they don't really know what they're doing. This is good. I'm, I'm, I'm getting something out of it whether y'all are or not. Number six in your notes. Just how merciful or liberal does the Bible tell us we need to be? Jesus spelled this out for us. It's not a guess game to see how merciful or how forgiving Joe was supposed to be. Matthew 18, 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus, verse 22, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Now, I don't believe he literally meant 490. I believe he literally meant just keep on forgiving. Just keep on forgiving. Why not? Take the high road. Just forgive. If Joseph could do it, we can do it. Joseph didn't have the Holy Ghost, Brother Kevin. Or as I know, he just had a good, uh, he just had a good character, good moral. Uh, Jesus did it. I'm going to talk, uh, talk about Stephen here in a minute. Stephen did it. Number seven in your notes. What did Jesus instruct us to do concerning those that are wicked and hateful and hate us? Did he give us any instruction? <clears throat> Joseph really took the high road, didn't he? Here's a small portion of Jesus' teaching. Matthew 5, 44 and 45. Red letters. But I say unto you, love your enemies. What did he say? Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Oh. I thought this was going to be an easy lesson. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Why? That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Sounds to me like me doing those things is kind of conditional whether I can be a child of God or not. He says that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Now, I know you guys know all this. I'm just reminding, my wife told me today that she, she told me about four times. Now, you're just reminding us. So I, I picked up on the hand about the fourth time she said it. <laughs> I know y'all know all this already. I'm just reminding. Y'all might not have known about Johns Hopkins and that 150% more likely to commit suicide. But that was some good heavy-duty stuff there. But, but uh, I know y'all know all this other stuff. Number eight, Stephen was the first in the New Testament after Jesus that was martyred 
and died for what? Truth. Uh, let's look at an example that Stephen gave us in Acts chapter 7, 759 and 60. <clears throat> and they stoned Stephen, and he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Verse 60, and he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Picture that in your mind, Allison. He's, he's, he's got 30, 40, 50 guys around. They've got these stones probably, probably just about the size of the hand, and they throw them just as hard as they can, like a baseball pitcher, you know, and they're pounding on his head. And he's like, oh, Lord, bless these people. Forgive them. Lay not this to their charge. And, and, and Dr. Luke, through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, chose to put that in our B-I-B-L-E. I wonder why. Number nine, God desires for believers today to love, to have humility, and to forgive. God's desire for believers today is love, humility, and forgiveness. The original New Testament believers back in Acts were not perfect. I don't believe they were perfect. I don't think they floated around like angels. After they came out, they had their cloven tongues of fire on their head. I think it kind of went away. I don't think they walked around with those cloven tongues of fire, and I don't, I don't think they walked around talking in tongues all the time. I think they had to have a kind of get back to some normalcy of life, and, and they, so they were not perfect, but they must have walked in love, humility, and forgiveness because here's what it says in Acts 2.46. And they, continuing daily with one accord, that's the unity. That you, you don't have any unity if you don't have any humility, okay? In one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, we, we know you got to be in the church to be saved. And, uh, but God added to it, and it kind of insinuates that he added to it because of how they were conducting their lives. Their lives. Other people were seeing that, Pastor. They were saying, man, look how much those people are forgiving each other and loving each other. You know, they're, imagine meeting from house to house and being together, all that. You, you don't think there was some conflict? You don't think there was some, somebody got their feelings hurt? We just kind of read it sometime and just think, oh, it was just, everybody was just, they were like angels. No, no, they were human just like us. They were fighting the good fight just like we do. Number 10, it is even possible that you judged the, that you judged the action or situation that hurt you wrong. Is it possible you judged something wrong? Have anybody here ever done anything wrong? Is it possible you judged a situation wrong? I did one time. I, I, I thought I messed up, and I really hadn't, so that was my mistake. <clears throat> How many are holding back giving their forgiveness and, and hurting themselves when they totally misjudged the situation originally? It certainly happened in the Old Testament. It happened so much that for hundreds of years, God gave Israel judges. So when, so when Darren... And, and Nathan were having a disagreement, what would happen? Instead of them, you know, getting out there and fist fighting, which would be what you do in a Rocky movie, but that's not what it was. He said, I want you to go to the judge. And the judge will say, all right, Darren, spell it out. 
All right, Oakley, tell me your deal. And then he would help them sort it out. There was a reason God appointed those judges and, uh, and anointed, appointed and anointed those judges was to keep peace and for help people forgive each other because they were so close. You know, 40 years is a long time to wander around in the wilderness and be next door to somebody, right? Number 11, to, to fail to forgive is to defy God's teaching and his precepts. When I was in the, uh, when I was working, I don't work anymore. I told you all that last Wednesday. When I was working, I was sitting at a desk, and there was the, the one, one of the owners of the business was an elderly lady. She was old. She was very wealthy. She was uh, very educated, and she went to church. We went to some kind of church. I won't say what kind of church, but it was a Christian church. I said, her daughter had gone through a horrible divorce. It was ugly. I mean, her, her son-in-law had ended up, and I guess what made her so mad, she, she liked the green stuff. And I guess what made her so mad was that, was that when they divorced and they did all the property settlement and all, the son-in-law ended up with some stuff, you know. And um, so in that conversation, her daughter and her son-in-law and the divorce just kind of came up in whatever we were talking about and not thinking, just kind of just re reflect. I said, immediately after I heard her say something kind of bad, I said, you know, you must forgive him. Her response is one that I will never forget. Okay. You may not understand it right now, but the song says we'll understand it better by and by. We'll, you'll understand it better by and by. I promise you, God is good. God is love, okay? And he demonstrated that on, on Calvary's Hill. Okay, I'll quit preaching and get back to my notes. Jonah was very mad at God. Y'all remember that? Why? Because God spared the Ninevites. The Ninevites were so wicked. They were barbaric. They were horrible. And Jonah wanted them snuffed out, you know? And, but... When he went through there preaching that little old ten-word message he had, or whatever it was, forty days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. All of a sudden, they 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 didn't let their animals eat, brother Kevin. They they fasted. They they didn't go on one of these little sissy fasts like we go on. They went forty days of fast and then didn't let the animals eat. They got serious. I, that's hard to picture how when you read it and you hear what Jonah's message was. And you kind of picture it in your mind. It's just kind of hard to visualize how these barbarians went on a 40-day. <laughs> and even the king, and he rent his clothes. I mean, I'm not going to get into the whole book of Jonah. But Jonah's mad. He, he doesn't forgive God. He ends the book. You're still not sure what happened to Jonah. He may still be sitting under that juniper tree where that gourd hit him on the head. Worm made it up. I don't know. I can think of nothing more damaging than being mad at God. Or down south, we use the word stupider. I can't think of anything stupider than being mad at God. People get angry at God because bad things happen. Let me, let me enlighten you. Bad things have happened since Eve was convinced or deceived into believing that God was mistreating her. 
Okay, so we've had bad stuff ever since. We've had floods and tornadoes and divorces and and drug, you know. So bad things happen to good people. It rains on the just and the unjust. Don't get mad at God, okay? Now get off of it. Number 15, the last one in my notes is the flip side. Now we're going to flip it, okay? You say, what does that mean? Well, let's say that somebody's angry with you and has not forgiven you. You might have someone that has not forgiven you for something. Help a brother out. Give him a text and buy him lunch. Apologize. It's, it's, it, may, it may be the difference in heaven or hell for them. You may be happy with them and not mad at them, but they may be mad at you. Hey, take the high road. Call them up. Call them up. Call them up. I'll end with this, and then I've asked Sister Lisa to come and give us a testimony. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, powerful. This is, this is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, 431. Watch what he says. This is the B-I-B-L-E. Get rid of all bitterness, rage. Is it on the screen? No. Ephesians 4, 31. They need to see this because this is going to, it's going to convict every one of you sinning heathens. Okay, go ahead. Get rid of all bitterness. Everybody say all. All rage. All anger. All harsh words. All slander. As well as all type of evil. Or make that evil behavior. Instead, Sister Ellen, this is for you. Be kind to each other. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I, I, I better shut up right there because I'll mess it up if I say anything. That, you don't get any more direct than that. Just as God. Come on, Sister Lisa. Let's give our next speaker a big hand. Thank you, Brother Melder. And uh, tonight I'm not necessarily teaching as giving a testimony. And uh, Neil had heard me give this testimony, and Brother Melder had asked him for some input on forgiveness. And he said, well, I think you need to talk to my wife. And so I can tell you that today I would not be standing here, I would not be counted as a child of God, if he had not walked me through what it meant to forgive. And so I have applied that to other things in my life, and I hope that uh, my testimony will be um, a strength to you. So I'd like to tell how being willing to forgive has changed my life and how it will continue to steer the course of my todays and my tomorrows. And I'd like to ask the question, must I forgive? So life has a way of bringing the unimaginable right into our everyday lives. And sometimes we gain loved ones and blessings and things that we find wonderful and precious. And it seems like the sun is shining just like today and that it will never grow dim. But then other times we lose loved ones. What we counted as blessings and possessions that we held dear, um, they are lost or stolen. 
And yet, through it all, we must not let bitterness due to unforgiveness take hold in our hearts. There are times it isn't just who we must forgive, but what. Sometimes there are situations and there are events that happen in life that we have got to be willing to forgive. I will forever be thankful for this situation where the Lord brought me skidding to a stop as I was headed down the path of anger and accusation and bitterness. My former husband and I were headed home with our precious, sickly, and frail little boy named Robbie after having been in the hospital for months. Um, He was born with 10 documented congenital defects. And so his insides were just a mess. But on the outside, he was as beautiful as an angel. Um, But he had had uh, a spontaneous rupture of his stomach. And he was almost two years old. And that was very unusual. But because of all of his other problems, there was just a weakness there. And we had literally been in the hospital for months, in ICU for months. And um, it was very hard. The uh, surgeon that operated on him five times said, I did not see how that child was going to make it through the night. And many times we would spend the night in the waiting room um, for him to come through surgery, praying, praying that he would make it through. And the situation had started with, it looked like just the flu. He was sick and getting sick just over and over and over. And we called the doctor's office and they said, oh, there's just flu going around. And so finally we knew that he was in desperate shape and we took him to the hospital, to the emergency room, called the pediatrician's office and he refused to come. He sloughed it off that it was just a minor situation. Even though he knew Robbie and all of his difficulties, he said, it's not anything important. When actually, it was life-threatening. And so we, as we were getting ready to finally leave the hospital to go home with Robbie, we sat down with the pediatric cardiologist that we had become so close to um, in all of our months there. And we said, you know, we're having a really difficult time dealing with this situation with this pediatrician. We just feel like he didn't do right by Robbie, um, by, you know, not helping us. And his words absolutely changed my life. And he said to us, he said, I have left the ICU and all of the babies that are in the pediatric ICU and the cardiology ICU are all under my care today. He said, it is a tremendous load. And he said, I could make a wrong call. I could because of of uh, being stressed and being in a hurry, I could make a wrong judgment. And he said, I want you to know that we are all human. And that just absolutely cut away 
all of that frustration and the accusation that we had been done wrong and we were able to leave there and know that even though the situation had not been what we had wanted it wasn't because this one man had done something wrong and his words changed my life and brought me to the realization that I must forgive this person or I would not be able to overcome the months of agony that we had spent there. And I would always have wondered if he had made a different decision, could it possibly have changed the course of what happened? And now looking back, we know that that was not the situation, but boy, we were grieving at that point. So we took Robbie home with tubes and tons of medicine and he needed very close supervision by everyone around him. And Sister Rose got to experience that with us. I was trying to work and um, we needed help. Mom and Dad were off doing district business and they had been with us, you know, just every moment that they could be. And so I had asked some of the ladies in the church to come to the house and help me with Robbie. And I don't know if they've ever really forgiven me for that because it was pretty traumatic. But we were able to form a very strong relationship with this pediatrician to the point that I cried when the day came that because of changes in insurance coverage, I had to leave his practice and go elsewhere. But I can thank God for the precious testimony of forgiveness that turned my life around and the situation with Robbie wasn't over um, we had a few months at home and and uh, because of his difficulties he needed to go back for heart surgery and um, so we went back believing that the Lord was going to see us through but that wasn't the the end of the story for us and um, because of infection and the weakness in Robbie's body um, we lost him and he was not yet three years old um, when we lost him and so just kind of a side note here on grief you know the loss of my firstborn was so hard and when we lose something that is so precious to us, we must grieve. It's a part of life. And we have to allow for tears and sorrow. With loss, tears can represent how much we loved and how much we've lost. And great love brings great loss and great sorrow. And in these times of loss, we must still be able to forgive the circumstances surrounding the situation that brought the loss. And so a few years down the road, when I was 34, um, my family, we had had Josh and Abby, and uh, we went down to Disney World for a, a vacation in June of 2000, and the kids were three and six. And while I was there, I found a lump in my breast. And it concerned me, but more as an oddity than really anything sinister. And I waited a few weeks and finally contacted the doctor who sent me for a mammogram. 
And when she called to ask if I had a preferred surgeon, I laughed. What healthy and strong 34-year-old has a preferred surgeon? So I went for a biopsy, and when we went back to the doctor's office to get the results, we waited and waited and waited, not realizing that the doctor called back to the lab to confirm the outcome of the test, that it was malignant. And so at 34, I had cancer, and wow, the air just was knocked from our lungs. Thankfully, I was diagnosed at stage one, but because of my age and the age of my children, we were aggressive with the treatment, and I had radical surgery and eight rounds of chemo. And I was thankful that if I had to have cancer, um, the treatment regimen was well-defined and proven. I was so thankful for that. But as you know, when you go through chemo, most times, um, one of the side effects is hair loss. And so I lost the beautiful, beautiful glory that the Lord had given to me. And um, I wore a wig, and at church I would wear, you know, a hat. But when people would see me, sometimes they wouldn't really even know who I was. You know, they would look at me funny. And during that time, my then-husband backslid off of the platform straight to the bar stool. And I lost my identity as you know, the superintendent's daughter that, you know, had a preacher for a husband and, you know, um, everything that was my identity in life, I lost and then was divorced. And so who I was and was so turned upside down at that point in my life. And I suffered physically with the cancer treatments along with my family, who also suffered through it with me, and all of those surrounding me. And due to my um, hair loss, I lost an outward Pentecostal identity. And thankfully, that was only for a time. Um, one of my doctors along the way made me really mad. <laughs> and she said, you know, oh, losing your hair, that's, that's just temporary. And I'm like, you don't realize. You don't realize what that means, but now I can look back and I say, it's temporary. It'll come back. You know? um, and I got to the place where I couldn't even lift my head. Here I was now, a single mom. Um, I didn't look like who I knew I was, but for other people, um, not really being able to recognize me and and my husband had left, and I was getting divorced, and it just felt like that I was in a game of whack-a-mole, and I was on the wrong end of that big red mallet, and every time I'd put my head up, something would come along. And then, almost six years ago, my father suddenly passed away while getting ready to come here to APC for board meetings, and I can't put into words the shock and the grief that impacted me. And I miss him and the roles that he played in my life. He was my father, my pastor, my children's papa, my stand-in husband, and my mother's provider. 
and life would never be the same again. But thankfully, the Bible provides guidance on forgiveness and how important it is to forgive others as we have been forgiven. With the grace and mercy shown to us, we are always able to start new with God. When we repent, we are given full forgiveness of our sins because of his death and resurrection. And in light of our new beginning, God commands that in return, we forgive others and extend grace as we have been shown grace. And it can be one of the hardest things in life. The pain and hurt others cause is real and great. But the pain of living with bitterness and unforgiveness can poison our souls and destroy us. And when we forgive others, we are not saying that what they did was okay. But are, we are releasing them to God and letting go of their hold on us. And one of the greatest examples of God's forgiveness in the Bible is King David. He sinned against God by lusting for a woman who wasn't his wife. And then he had her husband killed so he could have her. But when the prophet sent from God called him out, David immediately prayed for forgiveness. And we have the beautiful Psalm, Psalm 51. And forgiveness doesn't mean that you let your offenders off the hook. Rather, you are stepping down from the position of judge and entrusting the situation to the true judge who promises to take care of it for you. And when you try to be the judge, you take on a role you aren't qualified for. So what I have learned that I want to share today is that we can identify situations and happenings in our lives to be forgiven and that we must be intentional in forgiving because to forgive is a decision and to not forgive is also a decision. And according to the dictionary, to forgive means to stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offense or a flaw or a mistake. And synonyms for forgiveness are to pardon, to excuse, to exonerate, to absolve, to acquit, or to cancel. And to me, all of that equates to freedom. Or as Brother Melder talked about, being liberated and liberation. Because if we hold on to that bitterness, we will be poisoned in our souls. And so through groanings and great pain, I came to the place where I was willing to put into words what I needed to forgive. To my then husband, I forgive you for the weakness of your flesh, for failing God and walking away 
from your God-given place of spiritual leadership of our family. To my ex-husband, I forgive you for selfishly leaving your children to grow up without their father in the home. To my body, I forgive the weakness that led to cancer that would have taken my life had it not been found and removed. And to the side effects of treatment, I forgive the loss of my identity because of losing my hair and the impact that it had on me. And to the death of my father, I forgive the loss of my rock, my earthly father, my spiritual shepherd, and the extreme changes that came into my life because of that loss. But I can also say that the Lord has brought beauty for ashes. There are so many wonderful things in my life today that had I not along the way followed God's word, followed his leading, and let go. And that's the what I think of when I think of when I came to a place of, of desperation, I had to just let it go. Forgive. Just cancel that. Let it go. But due to pers- purposely living a life guided by willing forgiveness, the Lord has rewarded me, and I am blessed beyond measure. And so to answer my question, must I forgive The answer is a resounding yes, we must forgive. Thank you so much for allowing me to share my testimony. Thank you for that, Sister Lisa. I tell you what, you know, um, when they say the proof's in the pudding, I mean, she she looks pretty pretty joyful and she's got a lot of peace when I see her. And uh, so the the proof will be that the fruit, the fruit, grows on the tree and thank you so much sister lisa for sharing that and i know others in here could we don't have time but everybody's got hard things in life and so there's nobody exempt from needing to forgive we all need to if you got something tonight that you still hadn't uh dealt with you need to deal with it don't don't leave out of here you're you're among friends and fellow brothers and sisters we'll pray for you don't don't leave out of here with bitterness and, and resentment and unforgiveness in your heart. And make sure you teach it to your children. That's a big principle that, that uh, it's kind of obvious in Scripture, so maybe we don't talk about it enough, but we need to make sure our children know um, to forgive. They may need to forgive you for some of the stuff you've done. My, my kids probably need to forgive me for a lot of stuff. Um, I, wasn't, I wasn't there nearly as much as I should have been when I was raising Philip, so he probably needs to forgive me. So uh, don't hold any grudges. If you're mad at your mama, get over it. Forgive them. If you're mad at your children, get over it. Your brain-dead children, Joe, get over it. You know, just I'm not picking on Joe. But. All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Your word is forever settled in heaven, and you've told us what to do. It's just up to us. Like Sister Lisa said, it's a decision. Forgive us and help us to forgive. I want to walk out of here uh, clean, uh, with a clean slate uh, in my life and and having everybody who's wronged me have a clean slate. Uh, There's a better way. There's an abundant life. There's victory in Jesus.
Lord, we want that victorious life. You said your yoke was easy and your burden was light to take your yoke upon us, and you were a forgiven God. You're a merciful God. You came to the poor. You came to the hurting. You came to the sick. You came to the brokenhearted, and you touched their lives. Help us to do the same. Nobody owes us anything. We owe you everything. We give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming to church tonight. Go hug somebody.